Would you pause with me and pray? Our dear Lord Jesus, through it all, we trust you. We thank you that in the midst of what this world is facing right now, in the midst of what each one of us are facing, that we can declare together that your presence is stronger, that your power is greater, that we as a gathered people of God today, we affirm what is true, that you are sovereign. So would you come alongside each one of us now, knowing what we need, knowing and having a depth of compassion that's beyond what we can even imagine. Would you come alongside each one of us now? And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us, your children, who are listening? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Laodicea, we have reached Laodicea, a very wealthy city founded by Antiochus II and named after his wife, Laodicea. The city was strategically placed where three highways converged. It was highly commercial. The wealth of the city was used to build theaters and a huge stadium and lavish public baths and fabulous shopping centers. Can you picture it? It's like every single city you've been to across North America and the developed world. This was what Laodicea was like. I started to look through, and maybe you might show some of the, the pictures there. These are the ones that I took while I was there in Laodicea. This, these big, long promenades and these places where people went and shopped. But you know what? Since archaeology just continues to uncover, like I looked this week at all of the discoveries since the time that I visited, and there's so much more. I need to go back, I think. I need to go back. But there's so many beautiful sites, and they kept unearthing this stadium complex. This was a very wealthy, very developed city that Jesus was writing to, and a gorgeous part of the world. Laodicea was a beautiful city in Asia Minor. One of my favorite spots to visit, this was the view as I was sitting out there at golden hour, looking out at these ruins. Nearby are the great ruins of the cities of Colossae and Hierapolis, known for the hot springs. H, hot, Hierapolis, C, cold, Colossae. To the church in Laodicea in between the two, this is the letter that was written. I'll just pause for a moment. I just really, really love water. I don't know about you. Do you love water? Some of you told me at the door you hate water. You have to force yourself to drink it. It's okay. Different health habits come e more easily to some of us. Some of you love to like do marathons, like on your own, like just by choice. No one is forcing you. It's amazing. It's really remarkable. I love water. But have you ever drank water that was not good? Water that you smelled before you got it to your mouth? Have you ever had that experience? Where just suddenly it hits you and it's not good. 
Um, this is really, really pure and amazing water. But if you can imagine that experience of water that is tainted, water that you know would make you sick, many in the world don't have to imagine this. This is their reality. But it could put into perspective the words that we're about to hear, where in Revelation 3, 15 and 16, John, under inspiration, wrote these words, and they're in red, so Jesus is saying this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I've only spat water out of my mouth when I laughed so hard that I had to. You know who you are, friends, who make me do that. But Jesus is saying something about this church is repulsive to him, that it makes him sick. Could it be that there's more to the meaning of hot water and cold water than what meets the eye when we first read this verse? I believe that there's understanding from geography and from history, particularly the water sources of these neighboring cities that will help us to get a new understanding of the message to the church in Laodicea for then and for now. I love that Dr. Ko went into history here, that we got like the smallest little sliver of her lecture that she would give um, for her class, in case you couldn't tell, this is her subject matter expertise here. Um, but this history, this background, shapes how we hear. Because remember, the text had a context and a people that heard it first, and we, I, want to understand how they heard it first in order to understand how I am called to hear it. So this is the final church, seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation, and this is number seven. And if you remember, this is, we believe the Holy Spirit comes by inspiration. So the Holy Spirit inspired John, and these were words given to him from Jesus to these churches. So in your Bible, they're in red because these are words from Jesus to these people that lived at this time. And in these letters, we find a very familiar pattern that there are few exceptions, but he introduces himself, Jesus, with characteristics that meet their need. He affirms them, he rebukes them, and then finally he gives them a promise to those who stay true, to those who overcome, he gives them a promise. And he follows this pattern with one omission for the church in Laodicea. As he goes through this, you'll see very quickly that, that he was moved by what was lacking in this church. Going to the map of the three cities here, I want to look at this context for a moment. You'll see this river valley here, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae right there. And I want to go first to Hierapolis. It's the place that Pastor Mike just talked about, kids, where he got to soak in those baths. How many of you wanted to go in those pools as soon as you saw? That was like, yes, I want to go right now. These hot springs were amazing. Calcium oxide, the springs were medicinal kind of like the effect of milk and magnesium, mineral water bath, very good for arthritis and for aching muscles, for skin diseases. People would soak in these. They came from all different parts of the world to these waters. You can see why the military garrisons 
wanted to spend their time off in Hierapolis. In addition to bringing healing to the body and this gorgeous area where these were located, could you show a few of the pictures from there? You'll see some of the ones that, that I took while I was there and sitting there watching the sunset. It was really gorgeous. These waters, these mineral water, waters also helped in the dyeing of cloth so that the dye would stay in the cloth so it helped people to save money. So these beautiful mineral mineral pools right there in the side. You could just go in and spend time there and it was so refreshing and restorative as people walked along. Can you imagine? This was the neighbor of Laodicea. And then we go to Colossae. In contrast to Hierapolis, the ancient city of Colossae was known for its cold waters. Located 11 miles from Laodicea, Colossae was built at the foot of Mount Cadmus which towered 9,000 feet into the sky. Colossae was known for its purple dyed cloth and for all of these ice cold snow and rain fed streams that rushed down from the peak. People from all over the valley would come to Colossae and would soak in these invigorating, jump in, dive in these beautiful pools where they were able to be refreshed. Hot cold therapy, right guys? Um, Colossae, these inhabitants worshipped many gods, and by the time that Paul and John came through, the city was in serious decline. Uh, because Hierapolis was growing and Laodicea was growing in influence, Colossae started to diminish. The reason we as Christians know about Colossae is because of Paul's letter to the Colossians, and his friend Philemon and his slave Onesimus who were there, and Paul writes the letter. In this letter, we meet this man named Epaphras. And Epaphras is a disciple of Paul who planted the church in Colossae. Now, Revelation doesn't tell us this, but likely he planted the churches in all three of these cities. Listen to the book of Colossians 1, 6 to 8. Uh, in Colossians, it says, that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it, God's grace, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has told us of your love in the Spirit. Epaphras comes up later in chapter 4 as well, but then notice what comes up in Colossians chapter 2 verse 1. Paul writing, obviously he didn't go to Colossae, Epaphras told them of God's grace, but then he also says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, Colossians, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. So Epaphras was going to these cities, and he was raising up believers in Jesus, and Paul said, you haven't seen me personally, or you haven't seen my face, but I am still praying for you. Now likely Epaphras would have done this pattern of ministry that Paul himself did. I wanna show you that picture you just saw a second ago flash up. This is from one of the more recent discoveries. It's one of the churches found in Laodicea, and you'll see right there, if you can barely make it out, there's a menorah and so this was taken from the synagogue, and there's also different, different things that you'll see, but the candelabras and the menorahs, and then there, a cross inscribed later with a later date. So likely, Epaphras was bringing the message of Jesus like Paul did, which is he often started in the synagogues. 
he often started right where the believers were in that city and then they would hear the message of Jesus, the Messiah. So there, back to Laodicea for a moment, during the first century, this place where Laodicea was was the richest and the most powerful city out of these three mentioned. So Laodicea's primary exports, it was known for its soft black wool that was appreciated throughout the Roman world. It was appreciated for the eyes of that it exported because they would scrape off the minerals and they would add olive oil and they would anoint it to people's eyes so that they had eyes of. And it was known for its banking. They were wealthy and so they provided loans and other things to the people in the area. When the city in AD 60 was completely destroyed, nearly all of it was destroyed. We have record, an early uh, writer wrote, that the emperor tried to send help, government aid if you would, and the people in Laodicea said, we're rich, we don't need your help, and they sent it back. That's the kind of rich we're talking about. Archaeology, really, like the message that we hear from Jesus was exactly what we see in the record. They said, we don't need your money, we're fine on our own. And they rebuilt their whole city. These were the people of Laodicea. The problem was despite their prosperity, Laodicea did not have a clean water source. Hierapolis had the beautiful hot springs, Colossae had the beautiful mountain springs, and Laodicea was built in a place where there was no clean water source. They didn't have it. So the original audience would have had this in mind as they heard this letter from Jesus. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. To those who are victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you hear that any differently? Can you imagine yourself being a part of the original audience, being a part of this city, knowing that your neighbor Hierapolis and your neighbor Colossus, Jesus is using these words of hot and cold, hearing about ISAV and covering and wealth, that Jesus was speaking a message to you specifically from the place in which you lived and worked and 
exported your goods. When I say hot, most of you probably think, in the context of this Laodicean message, good. Hot is the religious spiritual fervor, right? Those are the people who are, we often say, on fire for Jesus. When I say cold, many of you come, I think I'm waning. My spiritual life isn't doing well. I'm cold. Um, lukewarm tends to have automatically a negative connotation, right? What does lukewarm mean? It describes a state of indifference, complacency, apathy. Lukewarm is the in-between, not choosing. That's what we often have read into this passage. But what was Jesus saying to them in his desire that they be either hot or cold? He's saying to them that their spiritual condition has no benefit. He would rather them being spiritually beneficial like a drink of cold water or soothing warmth like the hot springs. If we're simply going through the motions, living out in the in-between, if our heart is not in it, if we are coasting, he says your life has no benefit. We must be connected to the source. He's not putting cold and hot as opposites on a spectrum, but saying be of benefit to the community around you. Be good for something. God says the hot is good, the cold is good. You must be connected to the source. Be invigorating the water of life. Be soothing, be healing like the hot springs. But be something to your community. I could never understand when I was hearing this message from some that how God could say, I'd rather have you against me, that is cold, versus apathetic, which is in the middle. I don't believe that's actually what Jesus is saying. Like, I'd rather have you against me, cold, than in this lukewarm state. In the context of this, knowing Colossae, knowing their good, cold water source, and knowing Hierapolis, the hot water that was soothing and healing, you would have said, God wants me to have value. Lukewarm is this horrible middle. It's this, I'm not of value in this. Because of their lukewarmness, Jesus says, there's no spiritual benefit. The Greek word used here for spit, John actually uses this word that means to vomit. There's regular words that would have said spit, but he uses this word to vomit you out. That the Lord became so strong in his reaction to a passionless and indifferent people. It reminds me of Matthew when it says that in the end time, one of the characteristics, in addition to earthquakes and wars and rumor of wars and all the other signs of the end, which some people quote really readily, it says that the love of most will grow cold. Remember, the next time you say, well, yeah, isn't the world bad? Uh, it's a sign. It is, but also our hearts growing hard to it is also a sign. So we're called to stay somehow somehow miraculously soft with the love of God towards what's happening around us rather than coasting through it. So God says, I would ha rather have you of benefit, hot, cold, but instead you're hanging out in the middle. You're not of benefit to anyone and I want to vomit you out. This should be a wake-up call for us 
Because what was actually happening is in Laodicea, after the earthquakes that had nearly destroyed everything, the earthquakes in the region had caused people to question their gods. It had caused people to question their entire structures of belief. And so they wondered, many of them, if there was something more. And the church of God in Laodicea was missing the opportunity. So Jesus' words were called to wake them up. Don't forget your mission. Don't forget what you were raised up for, that you were to be good, refreshing, cold, warm, healing, that you would be connected to the source and that that connection to the source would give life to those around you, that you would bring that refreshing, that healing presence, the source to those who are around you. So Laodicea was called to something different. So who does Jesus show up to this church? How does he show up and remind them of who he is? How he says, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all creation. In scripture, amen means so be it, may it be so. It's an acknowledgement and uh, people would say that in church, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Some of you do, I should say, some of you don't. Um, but this is the first time that it shows up as a proper name in the scriptures. This is amen with a capital A. And in Revelation, it shows up that the amen, the one who completes it, is Jesus. The one who is true and faithful witness, the one who is the ruler over all creation. You see, someone else can come along and criticize you or criticize me, but when it comes from the one who is the true and faithful witness, we should stand up and pay attention, right? So he, <laughs> he says, I'm the last word on it all. I'm the one who sees, the one who you cannot hide from. There are no secrets from me. I'm the true and the faithful witness. I'm the one who has the last word, and I am the ruler over all creation. I'm the one who's been around from the very beginning, hovering over the waters, and John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word. I've been there from the beginning, and I'll be there for all time. I'm the ruler over all creation. And the one who comes to the church in Laodicea says to them, I see you. And I believe this would have been both convicting and comforting because you see Jesus never cuts unless he's ready to catch. He comforts and he convicts and he lifts them up. And so he says, you see, you think that you have what you need. Yeah, you're selling ISAV and you're loaning people money because you're so wealthy and you're covering the world in wool but you're naked and shameful and you can't see and you're poor. And he says, but I have what you need. And so he cuts them by saying with conviction, you're not who you think you are. And yet he comes along and he says, but I am everything that you need. And so he holds them and invites them because he says, I have what you're looking for. I counsel you, he says, to buy from me. That word there is so complex in the Greek, it's awesome. It says to redeem from me something that came with a price, something with, that was purchased with great cost. 
He says, I have already done this and you are just simply redeeming this from me. It's like when, if I were to be on the East Coast and it was a cold, frigid night in the winter and someone leaves me a coat. Have you ever been to a place that checks your coat? Doesn't happen much on the West Coast, but in places that we've visited, you check your coat at the door and you get a ticket. It's like I didn't come in with a coat but I was given a ticket, and I'm about to go out into the frigid cold, but I can go redeem something that someone else left for me. And Jesus covers us in the warmth of his righteousness. I'm redeeming something that I didn't leave there, that I didn't do anything for, but I am now covered by. And Jesus is inviting them with a heart of compassion to come and receive something that they can't earn. So this, too, is a message from Jesus inviting them to experience the righteousness that is found in him. So he says to them these strong rebukes. This one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all creation says, I see you, you're comfortable in the world and you're coasting. You're lukewarm in this middle where you're not good for anything. Take on what I have. And then the message for the church at that time as well as the church for today is to receive something to meet our need that we cannot do on our own. It's a hard thing for us. In addition to this message that came to Laodicea, we also believe that these seven churches are a historical picture. So you might have read and you might believe and understand that this time in which we live right now is the period of the Laodicean church, the last church on earth before Jesus comes. This is the time in history that we are living in. So we must also ask ourselves this question, in addition to each letter having applicability to us, how does Laodicea in particular apply to the church of now? A church that is wealthy, a church that can sometimes seem invincible and self-sufficient, a church that can become irrelevant to the community. Could it be that we could be good for nothing to those around us who are perishing? Could it be that we could be saying we're fine when we really have great need? Just like the Laodicean church here, we can forget what we're here for. Ellen White summarizes in one paragraph the core of the Laodicean message. She says, the Laodicean message has been sounding. Take this message in all its phases and sound it forth to the people wherever providence opens the way. Justification by faith and the righteousness of Christ are the themes to be presented to a perishing world. That's the message to Laodicea. Righteousness by faith. Jesus has what you need. You think you have it, you really don't. You really need him, but he's got it and he's ready to give it to you. That's a beautiful message found in the letter to the church in Laodicea. But in the North American church especially, we can tend to think that a balanced budget and smooth operations are what it means to be successful. This does not indicate success. In the scriptures, success is growth in Jesus. Success is the kingdom of God moving forth, and we are poor judges of how the kingdom of God operates. Because sometimes the kingdom of God looks weaker than we'd like. 
And sometimes the kingdom of God looks nothing like we would have expected it to look. But are you willing to say yes to this movement? To say yes to this Jesus? This kingdom of God and grace moves forward by saying yes to him. By standing, by opening the door, and by letting him come in. By realizing that we are naked and blind and poor and in need of him. The message to this church now, as it was then, is are you willing to open up the door of your heart to him? Are you willing to say yes to surrender to what God asks you to do whenever and wherever the spirit moves you to have a willingness and a surrender to do what God is calling you to do? And this is what I want to say with all of my life. I'm available to you. I'm opening the door of my heart and my life. Have all my love, God. Set my priorities. Show me the way. That's what I believe he's calling us to do. I was really captured while I was there with this open doorway. Yes, it's not the one that Jesus was probably standing at when he was revealing himself to this church, but this is a doorway there in Laodicea. And I found myself standing there looking at this door Imagining these words of Jesus in Revelation 3.20. See, I'm standing here at the door and knocking. If anyone opens, I'll come in, eat with you and you with me. Where is Jesus pictured with this church? This wealthy church who thinks they have it all on their own? He's pictured as outside the door waiting to be let in. It's almost like those memes on Instagram where Jesus is shut out of the church's activity, right? But the good news is that if anyone opens the door, he says, I'm right there with you. I'm ready to go in. I'm ready to be a part of this. I'm ready to be in your life. When I open the door to say yes, who knows what God will do, right? When you open the door to say yes to God, who knows what God is going to do in your life? When we say yes as a community, who knows what God will do through us? I cannot tell you, I can't even begin to imagine what God wants to do. Here's what I know. I know that what Jesus did for you. I know how Jesus loves you. I know what Jesus did for me. God doesn't decide what will happen based on how comfortable it feels to us. God doesn't decide on how much we understand what he's doing. There are many times the kingdom of Jesus requires me to be uncomfortable, to reach out, to stretch out vulnerably into new territory. But God knows what Jesus longs to do, and that is that we, our lives, would become a blessing to those around us. Hot, soothing, healing waters and cold, refreshing springs. That God would be the blessing through our lives because we have received from the source. Now back to Laodicea for a moment. I love reading the uh, recent discoveries because more than 20 churches have been found in Laodicea. You see from this period when this letter was written in the time of Domitian, all the way through until the seventh century, the, the, Laode the city of Laodicea kept thriving. It kept growing as a city. And then in the seventh century, it was uh, abandoned. But during that whole time, there was the council of Laodicea. There were many things that were happening in that city. And they've already unearthed over 20 churches and chapels throughout the city. 
Christianity was thriving in Laodicea. Now here's where I have hope. All of these discoveries. I can imagine the church sitting there and hearing this letter and saying, you're neither hot or cold. I counsel you to buy from me. And that there were people there sitting, hearing it, whose hearts were moved and who said, yes, I want to open wide the door and let Jesus in. Here he is standing at the door. He's calling me to repentance. He's calling me to open the door. And they did. I believe that's why the church thrived. The Christian movement moved on there and grew in Laodicea itself. Archaeology tells us, and that gives me hope, because any one of us can respond. The church today can respond, and like Laodicea, can see a movement of God taking place in that very place. Don't ignore your need. Don't ignore your need. Don't get comfortable with thinking everything is fine. If you find yourself today feeling desperate, feeling need, that you long for God to come in and help and support you, you're in the exact place for God to work in power and strength in your life. If you find yourself thinking you have it all, that you have everything that you need, pray for openness to say, I need you, Jesus. Because when we say everything's fine, often he's saying you're really naked and poor and blind. But the moment we say, I need you, Jesus, the moment we are in that desperate place, Jesus comes in with gold refined like fire, pure clothing covering and holding us in, salve to cure our blindness, giving us sight. More than even that, Jesus comes in with his presence. And we realize what we needed most was his presence. The greatest gift, the savior of the world sitting eating with us. Jesus is knocking. The question for us is, will you let him in?